Good morning. Good morning. Be reading from Second uh, Chronicles seven thirteen through fifteen. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send peasants along, among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Beloved, it's wonderful to see everyone this morning. I'm seeing those of you out there in our uh, live stream land with uh, imaginary eye. I trust that Every member of the body of Christ, because this is the Lord's day, is up and at them and tuned in. And I want you all to know, brothers and sisters, that you are missed. This social distancing is necessary, but it really goes contrary to the ecclesia, to God's people, to the fellowship. And I miss your fellowship, and I miss seeing you here this morning, and I hope you miss being here. Beloved, as wonderful as live stream is, it is no substitute for what God tells us to do in worship. And so we're glad you've joined us, and we appreciate it, and we look forward to you being back here very quickly. Please do know that you are missed. Today I want to look at what I believe is a balanced or biblical response to this uh, coronavirus or any crisis as a matter of fact, brothers and sisters. And, uh, and, and so that's what the lesson is going to be about this morning, because this virus uh, it dominates the news right now. Um, I'm not trying to be jaded, but I get tired of turning on the news and just that's all you see as if nothing else is going on in this world. It's been classified, of course, as a pandemic, and extreme actions are being taken by governments all across the world to contain the spread of the disease. It's driving the stock market down. Unfortunately, it's become a part of political dialogue in our country, and some people are willing to use the suffering of others in order to advance their own selfish cause. It is affecting our commerce, our travel, our entertainment, and even sports. Beloved, you know in America it's serious when Americans close down sporting events. President Trump has, uh, of course, uh, declared this crisis a national emergency, and well, it is. The primary concern, though, is not the current sickness and death count. And again, brother, I'm not trying to be jaded because if, if you know someone that has died from this, it's obviously a horrible thing. But, but worldwide, we have lost, as, uh, um, especially compared to other epidemics, we've lost very, very few people, and we're very grateful for that. But what is scary and, what, and why we're taking the precaution is the potential devastation that this disease could cause if it does get widespread. And we know how quickly that can take place. In fact, the influenza epidemic that struck in 1918 affected one-third of the world's population. That would be about two and a half billion people in today's population. Um, it's estimated to have killed 50 million people when the population was much less than it is today. In fact, some estimates have gone as high as 100 million people. To put that in perspective, brothers and sisters, the total fatalities... In World War II, that's civilian and military serving people are estimated at 70 to 85 million people. 
and it killed far more than that. One source said this flu killed more people in 24 weeks than the AIDS virus has killed in 24 years. And so these statistics show why our government response to this current epidemic is so drastic. They need to take those drastic measures. Um, we don't like it, but, but it is needful. The Bible has a lot to say about plagues, brothers and sisters, because obviously this is not the first one that's ever struck our mankind since the beginning of the world. And, and we can draw counsel from the word of God so that we have how we should respond to this situation. And as Christians, we personally need uh, to do, uh, let's see, what do we do about this current crisis? Because there's opportunity here for God's people. And that's what I want us to look at. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not the coronavirus. Number one, let's do this. This is what the Bible would have us do, I believe. Exercise prudence and common sense. Brethren, God gives us common sense for a reason. And so we need to do it, okay? But Satan, I'm, I'm going to give you some examples of what we're talking about this morning, okay? Because when Satan tempted Jesus to jump off the top of the temple, he said, you, he even quoted scripture to him, right? And said, hey, you, the, the Bible says that, you know, that, that your, the angels will lift you up and everything, and you won't hit the ground. And, and Jesus countered not by doing it, not by, not by, um, by taking the, the challenge of Satan, but by quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. And he said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And he says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 12. And so, brethren, to force God's hand, by doing something so foolish as to tempt, it, it, by doing something foolish is to tempt or test God. So I'm not going to worry about this virus. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this or that, or the other. You know, now, brethren, <clears throat> we don't need to tempt God in that way, do we? We need to we need to practice prudence. Uh, G. Uh, Campbell Morgan wrote, "The moment we do something to prove God, we're proving that we're not sure of God." Trust never employs tricks to find out whether the one trusted is trustworthy. I want us to think about that. God gives us common sense. We need to use that common sense. It's one thing to take a bold step of faith in obedience to God. It's another to initiate the same action for our own selfish purposes as Satan would have us to do. We see another incident in the Bible tells us when some Jews who didn't like what Jesus was preaching picked up some stones and they were going to stone him to death. And you know what he did? You know what he could have done? Brethren, he could have worked a miracle, right? He could have paralyzed those people. He could have struck them dead. He could have done any number of things. But what does he do? The Bible in John 8, 59 simply says he hid himself and just slipped through the crowd and got away. That's what Jesus did. He practiced prudence in that regard. He didn't do anything extreme. Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven thirty three, we see the same thing here when He's talking about some of his past life. And brethren, Paul was no stranger to persecution. And Paul would stand boldly before crowds of people and preach God's word, knowing that they were going to beat the stuff out of him. So, so it wasn't like he was afraid or anything. But in this one incident, he talks about how he had to escape some Jews that were going to kill him. And he said, I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so and as so escaped his hands. If you read about that in the book of Acts, they did this during the night because they knew that he was in a very dangerous situation. So Paul, in this situation, practiced prudence. He practiced some common sense. He understood that if he escapes now, he could preach another day. If he continued to do the course that he was going to be on and confront those people, he'd be very likely dead. So my point is this, brethren. 
in the absence of a divine command from God himself to do otherwise, we are to simply act with prudence. We do not act in presumption. Presumption is driven by pride, right? Faith acts in humble obedience. And so we say, well, we don't like this social distancing. We don't like restaurants and other businesses closing down. We don't like the fact that, you know, Chad and, and his family and Kathy and I were planning to go soon up to West Virginia and see our new grandson and really looking forward to that. We can't go now. You see, it just, we don't like those things. But brothers and sisters, sometimes we just need to be prudent and use our common sense. Let me give you another example of, of, of what the difference between prudence and disobedience before God. I think we see a good example of this in Numbers chapter 13 when Israel came to Kadesh Barnea. God has taken them out of Egyptian slavery. He's taken them to the promised land. He had given them the land. He told them he gave it to them, and they were told to possess the land, to go across the river, and that he would be with them and give them victory. They sent the 12 tribes over to spy out the land. Ten of the 12 came back with a negative report. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that said, we can do it. This is what God has commanded us to do. Now let's do God's command and let him give us the victory. And they picked up stones to stone them too. And so God in his anger said, okay, you had the opportunity to go. I commanded you to go. You refused to do so. So now you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and you all going to die. And I'm going to raise up a new generation that that will have trust and faith in me and take the promised land. Well, once they saw that, once they understood what God was going to do, they didn't want to wander in a, in a circle in the wilderness for 40 years. And so <clears throat> they said, oh, no, 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 now we'll do it, now we'll do it. And they decided to do so. And so they tried to go over into the promised land. Moses warned them not to do so. He warned them they would be defeated. He warned them there would be great disaster if they would try to do so. And they did, and they ended up being, many of them, killed by their enemy across the river. Brothers and sisters, God had given them the land. God told them to obey his, his command. And, and doing so, the first time when he told them to do it would have been an act of faith because God told them to do it, and he promised to be with them as they did it. Now, a few days later, it became an act of unbelief when the nation of Israel decided to not trust God and not do what he had told them to do, and then that action becomes presumption, not faith, when God said they would not enter the promised land and to do so would be disastrous, and it was. You see the difference? On the one hand, God told them to do something. That was a direct demand, command from God. He told them to do it. They refused to do it. And then afterwards, God said, okay, you're not going to do it for 40 years. You're going to die in the wilderness. Then they decided to do it after God said no. Then that, the one would have been an act of faith. The other becomes an act of presumption. And we need to be careful not to do that with God today. Okay, it's one thing to obey a divine, a divine command, brothers and sisters. We need to do that. But there, there's a lot of things that we need to be careful about, okay, and, and be wisely, pers not be presumptuous, okay? There are two extremes that we need to avoid, okay? And one, of course, is presumption. The presumption that because we are a king's kid that we're not vulnerable to this plague or this disease, you know? I've heard people say that. In fact, there's a couple of current churches that I have um, gone by, denominational churches that I've driven by on Sunday, um, and boy, their parking lot's full. And their contention is, 
We're going we're gonna to do what the Bible says to do and just trust God to protect us. Now, brethren, will God do that? Maybe so. I hope so. But I think it's being presumptuous. And I think, I think we need to err on the side of caution in some cases, okay? And so there's people that say that, well, I'm a king's kid. I belong to God. You know, God's going to take care of me. Brethren, belonging to God does not exempt us from the human experience. We understand that. We've all had viruses. We've all been sick. We've all gone through physical ailments, okay? God will take care of us as we trust and obey him. He's promised to do that. But we're still in mortal bodies, and, and we are just as susceptible to diseases of the mortal body as the non-Christian. And so we need to be careful uh, not to uh, be presumptuous. And the second extreme, of course, and on the other end of the spectrum is panic, okay? Brethren, a lot of people in our society are panicking. Christians should not do that. A lot of people around the world are panicking, okay? People shouldn't be doing that. Why are our grocery store shelves in some areas being completely wiped out? Why are people standing in lines for blocks waiting to get in the store, hopefully to find some toilet paper? People are panicking. We as Christians should not do that. God, as Chad pointed out in Bible class today, in 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so we need to be careful about that. Look what David said in Psalms 27, 1 and 2, okay? And they were having a problem in these days, okay? Um, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come, uh, came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Beloved, God's going to take care of us. Doesn't mean we're going to be immune to any of the problems of life. Jesus made that clear when he said, in the world you will have tribulation, but we don't need to panic either because God's in control of this like he's in control of everything else. If you feel yourself becoming very anxious about that, go to Scripture like, um, like the one I'm going to read and, and, and let God's Spirit assure you and comfort your heart. Um, the, because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is not fear but faith and peace. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Beloved, regardless of what happens in this pandemic or any other crisis that this world's going to go through, God is still in control. And we don't have to and we should not react to problems the same way the world reacts because God is with us. If we will look to him as our source and our protection, we're going to be okay. You see, you see, brethren, the lost, the people in the world right now who are panicking because they don't have a God to lean on, they, they need to see a calm assurance in God's people right now. They need to see our faith and our trust in our Heavenly Father, that we trust that He's going to get us through this and every other crisis of life and then take us to heaven one day. Brethren, people need to see that because that's a marvelous way to be and a good opportunity for us to reach out to them. And, and when people say, well, well, how come you're not worried? How come you're not panicking? And we can tell them why and use that to lead them to Jesus Christ. So brethren, practice prudence, number one. Number two, seek the Lord. We need to do that in all things. And see, <clears throat> every crisis, 
is a call to seek God or to re-seek God in some cases. Because sometimes events happen as a wake-up call, don't they? Beloved, what do we do? We as human beings, we as Christians, we become complacent, don't we? We can kind of get stuck in a rut. We can kind of just kind of go along with the flow of things, and we're really not doing God's will the way we should. We're not growing in Christ the way we should. We're not reaching out to others. We're not, we, you know, we just kind of get complacent, and, and crises is that wake-up call, and it helps us to get our priorities right and our mindset where it needs to be. Israel was God's chosen people, but there were several times in their history that they would become slack in their service to God. In fact, uh, very oftentimes they would go um, into idolatry. And so what did God do? Did he destroy them immediately just like that? No, you study Old Testament. Uh, what God would do is that instead of wiping them out immediately for their disobedience, God would send enough troubles to get their attention. And who knows that if he's not doing that today? Before Jerusalem was captured by uh, Babylon in, in 586 B.C., there were other attacks that should have served as warnings that the prophets said were warnings and tried to get the people to repent. Eleven years earlier, Jerusalem was attacked, um, and King Jehoiachin, who was the, the king at that time, was taken captive. Eight years prior to that, Babylon attacked and took away some captives. All of these were wake-up calls, you see. Daniel, incidentally, was part of that captivity. In between those events, God gave them several opportunities to repent. And so what would he do? God gave enough of a crisis to get their attention and then gave them the opportunity to seek him and to get things right, and Israel failed to take advantage of those opportunities. They refused to do it. They were adamant about remaining in their idolatry until they finally had to be taken out of their country as exiles and captives and in prison, as prisoners in Babylonian captivities for about 70 years. Those things were written, the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians 10 11 for our learning and our admonition. Beloved, one of my greatest concerns for our country is that we will respond to this crisis with all of our resources, with all of our human resources, but fail to seek the Lord in this. You know, it's one thing to have confidence and, and, and trusting in the Lord, but it's another thing to think we can handle this because of our scientific and modern and modern medicine and all our technological advances. We've got to seek the Lord, brethren, in this. And I hope our country understands this. I hope they realize it. I'm grateful for all of our modern technologies and medicine and science and all of that. But, brethren, we've got to seek God. We've got to seek him first and foremost. I was comforted to hear President Trump declare a national day of prayer over this. And I hope everybody is praying about this. We ought to be. We ought to be praying for God's wisdom, God's guidance, and God's protection. We need to look to the Lord for the victory and not assume that we can handle it without him. That's always a danger, and we're repeating history. Let me give you a little historical background. Prior to 1918, the world was boasting about its scientific achievements. Man, they had, they had really come up with some great achievements, in, you know, uh, in the early part of the 20th century, especially in the field of medicine. Some, one historian writes, for over a century, the booming science of medicine had gone from one triumph to another. Researchers had developed vac vaccines for many diseases, smallpox, anthrax, rabies, 
diphtheria, meningitis, and others. In the, he said, the advances in microbiology had led, quote, to the thought of invincibility. And that was in 1918, when so many medical advances and scientific advances had come along. It was in that context in that the world was hit with something that, was not, that they were not equipped to handle in spite of all of their modern technology. It was near that time when people were boasting that they had built a ship that could not be sunk. Y'all remember the Titanic? <coughs> it's reported that the builder of the Titanic was quoted as saying, even God cannot sink this ship. And you all know the rest of the story, right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, the Bible tells us. Then that principle holds true for nations just like it does in individuals. So in 1918, built a boat that couldn't be sunk, had all these modern technological, medical, scientific advances, and a flu epidemic hits them that kills a minimum of 50 million people. And all of a sudden, there's a wake-up call. Brethren, we know the promise of God in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen that Derek read a minute ago. A lot of people have this sign in their front yard. But I want us to get the context of that verse. Okay, because a lot of times we just read verse 14. Look what he says in verse 13, though, about he's speaking to his people about the, and then we'll understand better, hopefully, verse 14. Verse 13, God says, if I shut up the heaven so that there's no rain. That was serious business in that day. Most of the earth was an agrarian economy. They made their living by agriculture. No rain, no crop, people starve. If I shut up the heaven so that there's no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Beloved, this is the context of verse 14, okay? Uh, <clears throat> and then he says, if my people, in that context, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. God hears our prayers, brothers and sisters, and we need to understand that. The passage begins <clears throat> with a situation where trouble has come, and, and, in fact, God has sent it himself, as he says, and he does so for a reason. And the word translated in verse 13 is pestilence. It can also be translated as a plague. What is the response God is looking for when he sends a, quote, plague on a land? He said, you know what? It begins with humbling ourselves. It may sound courageous to stand up in a crisis and say, well, we can defeat this, you know, we've got the technology to do this, and if we, <clears throat> if we do that with the same mindset that Caleb had at Kadesh Barnea when he said, we can do this because God has commanded it, and God said he'd be with us, and that's a good thing, brothers and sisters. But if we try to do something that's contrary to God's will, then we need to be careful about that. Brethren, we've got to be humble. I, th I think, the, you know, wake-up call is, a, is, a, uh, is to be humble when we encounter things like this, you know. We kind of take pride in certain things and put our faith and our trust in certain things, 
and this kind of uh, helps us to understand a lot of people put their trust in their jobs and all of a sudden very suddenly very quickly very unexpectedly they're out of work you see in a crisis we should be humble ourselves that's what we need to do not not boasting in our self-sufficiency and you know uh, brethren, an epidemic, any kind of crisis should remind us once again of our mortality and our need for God. So we need to humble ourselves. People can get proud. We, it's just a natural part of human nature. It's pride, so it, it's a time to humble ourselves, right? And then he says we got to pray. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 tells us this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to be a praying people. He says that the, in this text that we're to, uh, given the promise of peace from God, a peace that passes understanding, it will do what? Pray with thanksgiving. Let our requests be made known to God. Talk to God of our dependence upon him. Brethren, we need to be a praying people, you know? And I hope in our country today that we do so much more than <clears throat> put on masks and wash our hands and use sanitizer and stock up on toilet paper. I hope we seek the Lord and that we pray to God because we need his wisdom and his guidance and his power to work in our behalf. And he can turn this into the furtherance of the gospel, and we need to allow him to work through us to do that. And then he goes on to say in 2 Chronicles, we need to seek his face. <clears throat> we must seek him. Brothers and sisters, we need a right relationship with God. And, and it's not just that we tell him what we want. We also submit ourselves to him and to pursue his will we need to seek his face i said i mentioned earlier we need to re-seek him maybe some of us have gotten a little complacency in the lord's church maybe some of us have fallen into that rut we've gotten that we've hit that mediocrity you know we go to church we live a decent life we go to church we live a decent life and that's kind of it we're really not involved in the in the thick of god's will and maybe this is a wake-up call for us to do that, to uh, really seek God. And as we talked about in Bible class this morning, to ask God to know us and to, and to look deep in our hearts and to, and to guide us in the right way and to get us out of that rut, brothers and sisters. Maybe this has been a wake-up call to where we'll seek our Heavenly Father, as the Bible says, with all of our heart. And we need to do that. Okay? <clears throat> and then the last one says, the last verse, after as we seek God, it says we must turn from our wicked ways. <laughs> oh, but Brother Green, you're talking about Christians here. If my people who are called by my name, God says. He's not even dealing with the world at this point. If my people would turn from their wicked ways. <gasps> Preacher, are you suggesting I have wicked ways? Yes. Is there anyone bold enough to hold up their hand and say, I am not a sinner? Beloved, we can get caught in that trap. It's so easy to fall into that, isn't it? 
And we try to justify our sins or we try to compare them with others and say, well, their mind's not as bad as theirs or, or I know I sin, but hey, everybody does, right? There's no big deal. And, and it's real easy to do that. And God said, no, 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 no. This is a wake-up call so that you'll take a hard look at the man or woman in the mirror and say, where am I falling? Where am I shortcoming? What have, where do I need to change? Why, where, in what areas do I need to repent? Turn from my wicked ways. We Christians don't like to think that we may have some wicked ways in our life, some sin in our life. But, beloved, the truth of the matter is that it's true. We do. And we need to look at that very, very closely. Turn from our wicked ways. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> Your wicked ways may not be the same as mine, but all of them are a departure from God's commandments and God's will. You know what's interesting in this, brethren, and in, in several of the Old Testament passages? When God would strike a country with plagues, Egypt, of course, the ten plagues, he was not just dealing with the people there. He was also striking their false gods. Every plague went against one of their false gods. And it demonstrated the weakness of their idols. And you know, every time there's a plague in the Bible, God's judgment devastates that country's economy. Have you noticed that? When you watch the impact of this coronavirus, does it amaze you the devastation it's having on economies around the world, including ours? And I wonder how much confidence people are placing in their jobs and their retirement accounts and their savings. What would these people do if the bottom falls out from under all of that? Will they continue to trust God or will they jump out a 20-story window? See, sometimes God shakes things up to get us back to him and to get our priorities straight and right. Look at God's promise in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If we'll do the things we just mentioned. He says, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. He can heal a land of economic crisis he can heal the land of viruses the danger is that we would look at this virus with purely human eyes we need to have compassion for those suffering from this disease brothers and sisters we need to we need to be praying for them we need to reach out to them uh, you know but we cannot think completely in humanistic terms we we can't leave god out of the picture brethren Maybe God has brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this, as we would say. Maybe the, this worldwide wake-up call is the opportunity of a lifetime. Maybe we can reach out to multitudes, brothers and sisters, that will turn to him not only for physical help, but for eternal salvation. Because Jesus says, what is it profit of a man gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? 
<clears throat> and my prayer, brethren, that the church, that God's people will take advantage of this opportunity and that we will allow God to use us, to use you and me to bring the lost to him during this time. I understand there's quite a few people that have been very, very negligent in their service of the Lord that are watching this live stream. I'm grateful for that. I don't take that for granted. I'm grateful for that. And so, brethren, let's look at it in the, in, in the context of Second Chronicles 7. And then thirdly, and, and we'll close, we should trust the Lord in everything, right? That's what we need to do. When we're, when, we're work, when we're walking in the light, we're surrounded by God's protection and his promises, brothers and sisters. And one of his promises is that he says he's going to work everything together for our good. And so he's able to redeem any situation and turn it towards his purpose for his good, brothers and sisters. And we see things as a, uh, as a, a, a pandemic, an epidemic, a horrible virus as, as wrong and terrible and, and, and horrible. And yet God's able to take all that bad and turn it into something really good. And we need to be uh, involved in doing that, brothers and sisters. You know, you look at Joseph and, and, and the things that he had to go through for an example. And it's a terrible thing what his brothers did to him. I mean, they were going to murder him at first. And one brother talks them out of it. And they, their, their actions were evil. The Bible makes no, no um, it doesn't sugarcoat that at all. And, and Joseph had to go through a lot of years of suffering for doing nothing but being faithful to God. He did nothing wrong during this time. But God redeemed even that and worked his purpose out in Joseph. In the end, Joseph could say to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And then Joseph also added, and he meant it in order to bring it about as it is to this day to save many people alive. Genesis 50, verse 20. Beloved, God is always seeking to save the lost. We need to trust God for the protection <clears throat> of ourselves and our loved one. But we need to also pray for God's mercy on the lost and that he would use this as an opportunity to bring many to him because the Bible says God's not willing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. So if a crisis causes people to turn to God and to obtained eternal life, then a whole lot of goods come out of it. Amen? Beloved, we seek the Lord. We need to seek him for his mercy and his protection, for his healing. And at the same time, <clears throat> we know that there is a place that people's going to spend forever. And beloved, let me, as I close, say this very briefly. There's near panic over this virus, and it's temporary. However long it lasts, it's going to be temporary. But there's going to come another virus. There'll be another crisis. Jesus said there'll always be wars and rumors of wars. And many people are so upset and so panic in a panic mode about a temporary virus. And yet many of those same folk have not considered their eternal you see, once you leave this life, whether you live in heaven or hell, it's going to be forever. So, friend, we want to encourage you to allow this crisis to cause you to think beyond this crisis. 
and to think about your eternity. Where are you going to live forever? There's no end to that. Where would that be? The Bible holds out only two places, heaven or hell. You know which one you want. If you're not right with God, contact us. Please do that. We'll get in touch with you. We'll be glad to study with you from God's word and get that fixed because that's the most important thing while we stand inside.